high five or low five. You know, I think the parable of the ten virgins should be called the parable of the five plus five virgins. Well, five who experienced the high point of partying with the bridal couple and the other five who didn't. Talk about a super low point. Hi, this is Hanson from Archippus Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints to know and fulfill our God-given Kingdom assignments. And this is what Kingdom 101 is about. We revisit Kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus our King, to embrace His Kingdom so that we may receive and move on Kingdom assignments in His Kingdom ways. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Gospel of Matthew, and we thank you that you speak so clearly. Lord Jesus, be proclaimed. Holy Spirit, grant us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have arrived at Matthew 25, the final section of the Olivet Discourse, the fifth discourse in Matthew about kingdom readiness. Now, before we get into the parable of the ten virgins, or the five plus five virgins, Let's review Matthew 24 so that we do not forget or miss the context. Matthew 24 opens with Jesus' prediction and the disciples' question. And then in verses 4 to 14, Jesus presents a broad eschatological backdrop. And then 15 to 31, he zooms in for a close-up with more details about the end. Then comes the parable of the fig tree in 32 to 35. He says, when you see these things take place, then it will be soon. But immediately it is followed by a but. And in Matthew 24, 36 to 25, 13, Jesus says, no one knows when. In fact, he devotes this entire passage to make this point over and over again. In other words, he doesn't want any of his disciples to miss what he is saying, and us too. Throughout this entire passage, Jesus mentions and repeats this important point five times. Matthew 24, 36, of that day and hour, no one knows. Then he talks about Noah, followed by Matthew 24, 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Then he goes on and talks about the house master and the thief and ends again in Matthew 24, 44. Therefore you be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then comes the parable of the two servants, which he then ends with Matthew 24, 50, that the master will come on a day when the servant is not looking for him at an hour he is not aware of. And here comes the parable of the five plus five virgins and then the final verse, 25 verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Five times. Now if five is the number of grace, then these are Jesus' gracious reminders to His people. Be watchful, be alert, be ready, be prepared, be faithful. Or as we have presented the big idea in the teaching, all must know, here's what it sounds like. Readiness and preparedness is characterized by watchfulness that leads to faithfulness. Now we are ready to get into our text for today about the parable of the five plus five virgins. As we have seen, it is not a standalone parable, but one that concludes Jesus' key point 
about the unexpectedness of his return and his reminder for preparedness and readiness. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Let's notice two things about this parable. In Matthew 25 verse 1, it reads, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to. This is a kingdom parable like those in Matthew 13, where the focus is about kingdom wisdom that we may perceive and understand the KOS, or the kingdom operating system, how the kingdom operates. The invitation is for people of the kingdom to see, to hear, to receive, and to obey. Those who have ears to hear will get it, but sadly, some will miss it entirely. Hearing, but not hearing. Seeing, but not seeing. Now, this is a very important point because the disciples asked about the restoration of the kingdom at the end of the age, and Jesus replies in kingdom terms. For them to be ready for the return of the king and also to be ready for entrance into the kingdom, which is represented by the messianic wedding banquet in this parable. The second thing we see is the setting of a Jewish wedding. As with all parables, the setting of a typical Jewish wedding characters as well as the items are all easily identifiable and understood. Now, this may not be so obvious to us today, so allow me to present a very simplified explanation just for context and for understanding the manners and culture of Jesus' day. First, there's a selection of the bride where the father chooses the bride for his son. Next comes the betrothal, which is the establishment of the marriage covenant. There is a bright price that is involved. Now, the groom pays a price to purchase his bride, and this price reflects the father's status and wealth. Once this is paid, the couple is considered husband and wife. The bride is declared to be consecrated or sanctified, set apart exclusively for her bridegroom. Now, there's the agreement called the ketubah, where the groom and the bride share a cup of wine to seal the marriage covenant. This is the first cup that they will share. The second cup will be shared at the wedding much later. Then comes the preparation period. 
where the husband now goes back to the father's house. The couple is separated for a period of about 12 months. In this time, the bride will pack and prepare for married life. The groom goes back to prepare living accommodations in the father's house for his new bride. Now comes the time of the fetching of the bride. Now when the father deems that all is in order, he then gives the instruction to announce the wedding to the guests and also for his son to go get his bride. The groom's party will lead the way to the bride's house with a torchlight procession, and usually at night of course. And although expected by the bride and the bridal party, the exact time of arrival is not known. The shout, Behold, the bridegroom comes, indicates it is time for them to go out to meet the groom and to join the torchlight procession. The enlarged wedding party then make their way to the groom's father's house. And upon arrival, they will find the wedding guests already assembled there. Next comes the wedding ceremony. Before that, the bride takes part in a ritual cleansing before this ceremony. Now, after this short ceremony, which is attended by only a select few, the second cup of wine is shared, which completes the ketubah or the agreement. And then after that, the couple is escorted to the bridal chamber, the hupa. At this point, the bride is still veiled. Now, in the bridal chamber is where the consummation will take place. The friend of the groom stands outside by the door as the marriage is consummated in the privacy of the bridal chamber. When consummated, the groom relays the good news to the friend of the bridegroom, who then announces to the guests. Then comes the marriage feast. This then begins that week-long celebration of the marriage supper or the feast. And during these seven days, the bride remains hidden in the bridal chamber. At the end of the seven days, the groom will bring his bride out of the bridal chamber, now with her veil removed so that all can see the bride. That's a Jewish wedding. Now, if some of these milestones and terms and descriptions sound very familiar, it's because God's salvation of humanity through Jesus employs and shares many parallels with the Jewish wedding. Now that we have a better idea of the Jewish wedding and its setting, we will now consider the five characters and items of this parable. The bridegroom, the virgins, the lambs, the oil, and also the bride. Let's consider the person of the bridegroom first. In the Old Testament, God or Yahweh is portrayed as the husband of his people. Some of the passages that we can turn to would be Isaiah 54 verses 4 to 6, where it says, Your husband is your maker. Or Isaiah 62, 4 and 5, where it says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Now, of course, Israel was not faithful in the Old Testament. So Jeremiah 3.20 says, Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel. Then comes the promise in Hosea chapter 2, verse 16, as well as 19. It says that in that day, which speaks of the day of the Lord, says the Lord that you will call me my husband and no longer my master. So there are many passages in the Old Testament, God as bridegroom. When we come to the New Testament, it builds on the Old Testament, but now with Jesus as the bridegroom. 
which he knows that he is God and he is the Messiah to come. John the Baptist, in John chapter 3, verses 27 to 30, he declares himself as the friend of the bridegroom and he rejoices because he hears the bridegroom's voice. Jesus applied it to himself as the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 15, talking about fasting, he says, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Pointing to himself. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. And of course, we know that the bridegroom will return. Paul in the New Testament will build on this further. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, he says, I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 5, 31 to 32, talking about marriage, he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And finally, in Revelation 19, verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, the bridegroom, and His wife has made herself ready. So there is clearly no doubt who the bridegroom refers to, Jesus. Next, let's look at the virgins. The word virgin simply means a young woman of marriageable age, presumably chaste and pure. These young women may be attendants of the bride or even friends and neighbours forming the bridal party that escorts the bride to the bridegroom's house. Well, ten are mentioned, five plus five. Now, these five plus five do not mean 50%, but it refers to two categories again. Now, five are wise, high five, and five are foolish, low five. Well, since this is a kingdom parable, these most likely represent the people of the kingdom to which this parable is directed. The third element or the third item in this parable are the lamps. The word used here is lampas, and it refers to torches, racks doused with oil placed on sticks, big sticks, for example, in John chapter 18, verse 3, when Judas came with the soldiers to arrest Jesus, they were carrying torches, lampas, big lights. Now these lamps, the torches, are not small table lamps in the house. That's another word, luknos, as we will see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 15. And usually when you carry these lamps, you will also carry extra oil in vessels or flasks for additional supply. Well, there are two different interpretations when we look at this word lamp or torches. When we read Psalm 119 verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, it's very clear here that the lamp here refers to the word, to scriptures. And so we extend it to mean Bible reading or Bible study. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. And so he says, Please don't place this lamp, but this is luknos, remember, this is a table lamp. Don't put it under a basket, but let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. And so if we look at this verse then, Jesus might be referring to the good works and not just the word or the Bible study. Well, whichever interpretation, both are possible and very plausible. But was this Jesus' intent? 
Let's hold this thought for a while as we consider the other items. Next, we come to the fourth and rather critical element of the oil. Now, the most common understanding is that oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Well, to be more accurate, it's anointing oil, not lamp oil. Well, but what does it mean anyway, right? Some says it refers to non-believers because they don't have the Holy Spirit. This avoids the issue of believers being shut out. But think about this, the five foolish virgins had oil, just that it was insufficient. Others say that it's the enablement of the Holy Spirit to understand the Word and also to do good works. Well, that sounds also correct and sounds quite good. But how do you run out of the Holy Spirit then? Is there a leak somewhere and must you be refilled, as some people say? Or how do you buy more Holy Spirit? And where do you get this Holy Spirit, right? So there's so many questions. So again, is this Jesus' intent? And also, how much oil of the Holy Spirit is then enough? Just hold this thought as we now consider the fifth point. The faith character or the element is actually not found in this parable, but it is a very, very important item or person to consider. The bride. Notice that there is no mention of the bride at all. The bridegroom was there to fetch the bride, but she's not mentioned. Now, why is the bride missing in this parable where the setting is of a Jewish wedding? And if Jesus is the bridegroom, then aren't we supposed to be the bride? Then, if we are, then what about the virgins if we are also supposed to be the people of the kingdom? And then there's another parable that talks about the wedding guests, which also refers to kingdom people. So which are we then? I believe this demonstrates something very important to us as we try to interpret and understand this parable. We are not supposed to try to identify each and every character and item. Doing so will get us caught in the details, ending up with more questions than we have answers, and it distracts us from the main point. I believe there's only one character that is certain, the bridegroom. The bridegroom is Jesus. The rest are simply there to emphasize all Jesus has been saying before four times prior, remembering that this parable concludes the point with the fifth mention of the unexpectedness of his coming, even considered a delay in this parable, and the need to always watch and be ready. In case this is not clear, allow me to state it once again. The main point of this parable is preparedness and readiness for the unexpectedness of the time of Jesus' return. The word hetoimos, which can be translated as either prepared or ready, these two words mean the same thing. When I say ready and prepared or prepared and ready, these mean the same thing. It's just a double emphasis of a very important point. And this is the point of what Jesus is trying to tell us. That's why he gives five reminders over and over again. Be ready and prepared. Be prepared and ready. So what can we learn and take away from this parable? Well, since there are five mentions, five reminders, to emphasize the importance of Jesus' main point, allow me then to share with you five key implications, five pertinent points, from the parable of the five plus five virgins. Number one, the promise of preparedness and readiness. 
in Matthew 25 verse 10, those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. Listen to that. They went in with him to the wedding. That was the high point for the five virgins who were ready. High five. And this is the promise for those who are also prepared and ready. We get to enter the fullness of the kingdom and be part of the messianic banquet. We get to high five with Jesus and high five with all the saints who make it. What a promise. But be very clear that this is a conditional promise and the condition is preparedness and readiness. Number two, the predicament of unpreparedness and unreadiness. Let's look at Matthew 25 verse 10, the second part. And the door was shut. Now afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. The other five virgins were shut out and not recognized by the bridegroom. What? How can this be? Just like the five wise virgins, these were also waiting for him and looking forward to his arrival and to be part of the celebrations. I'm sure it came as a total surprise to them. And so instead of a high point, high five, it became a low point for the five. A low five, a super, super low point. And this is the predicament or the consequence of unpreparedness and unreadiness. Those who are not ready will miss the coming of the king and they will not enter in. Now at that point, no amount of pleading or begging will work. Jesus has already taught, instructed, emphasized, reminded and warned many times. And just as there is a conditional promise, there is a consequential warning and this is it. There will be no excuse and there will be no entry. I know this outcome may even be a surprise for some of us, for many of us. Is it even possible? Well, according to Jesus, it is. But, but, not my words, Jesus said it. And what Jesus says, I would want to consider very, very carefully. Remember, a return mindset takes Jesus at His word. If He promises, He will fulfill that promise. But if he wants, he will carry that out too. I know none of us desire this outcome at all. But how did the five foolish virgins find themselves in such a predicament in the first place? And this is where the next observations are critical. Number three, presumptions of preparedness and readiness. Friends, let's be very careful of presumptions of preparedness and readiness. The five foolish virgins presumed. They presumed that the bridegroom would arrive at a certain time, and he didn't. They presumed that they had enough oil in their torches, their lamps, and there was not any need for them to carry extra oil, and they didn't. Presumptions can be very, very dangerous. Well, what are some presumptions we may have these days? Let me share some examples. Oh, I am saved, I am baptized. I'm a member of a church. I'm okay. Oh, I go for cell group every week. I serve, you know. I am okay. Ah, it's all about grace. I don't have to do anything. I am okay. Well, whatever happens or not, as long as there is grace, everything will be okay. Does it sound familiar to you? 
Or how about this? God loves everyone. Jesus died for all. Just believe and go to heaven. And everyone is going to make it in the end. After all, I don't think Jesus will shut anyone out. He can't. He won't. That is just not possible. You see, these presumptions and many others, they're very dangerous because it results in complacency in the believers and it allows so many to spiritual slumber. Notice that it all boils down to wrong doctrines that lead to wrong focus. For example, once saved, you're always saved. Or the whole idea of hyper-grace that God will never ever do anything against you and that you don't have to work out your salvation at all. Oh, we love this one, right? That Jesus serves me and wants me to be healthy and wealthy. Or that Jesus loves all and will never reject anyone. And when it comes to discipleship or kingdom assignments, now these are only for those who are serious and the rest of us, we are not called. Now these are very dangerous presumptions. Don't presume preparedness and readiness. Now here I want to add something that's very important. The assurance of our salvation is not the same as our presumption of our salvation and entry into the kingdom. Let me quote Paul for you. Paul was very confident and assured of who he is and what he has in Christ. However, he never rested on his laurels. He never wanted to take the grace of God in vain. He kept on working out his salvation and he exhorts us to do the same. Look at Philippians chapter 3 in the whole passage of 12 to 16. He says that not that I have already attained or am perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has already laid hold of me. So he keeps pushing forward. He forgets what's in the past and he keeps going forward so that he can receive this price and be fully, fully convinced at the end, assured of the promise that he has in Jesus Christ. Peter encouraged believers to add to their faith. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This does not mean that faith alone was insufficient, but that faith will produce what is expected, rendering one fully ready and prepared for the coming of the Lord. Friends, be very careful of presumptions of preparedness and readiness. Now, I myself, I would even be careful that I do not presume that I am already one of the five wise virgins, or even worse, that I presume that I'm not like the five foolish virgins and therefore this parable doesn't really apply to me. Don't presume anything. Number four, personal preparedness and readiness. Matthew 25, verse 6 onwards, And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, 
lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Preparedness and readiness is personal. You cannot prepare for me, and I cannot prepare for you. What I need to learn and do, I am responsible for these myself, and for you, yourself. No one can do it for me, and no one can do it for you. Preparedness and readiness is non-transferable. The five foolish virgins tried to borrow oil from the five wise virgins, and they were unable to do that. Now, careful, huh? this is not a lesson about let's share and care. You know, sharing is caring. No, this is a point to show us that preparedness and readiness cannot be transferred or borrowed. You can't borrow my faith, and I can't lean on your faithfulness in your kingdom assignments. We are each responsible for our own watchfulness, preparedness, readiness, and faithfulness. Now, what are some of the ways that we can prepare personally? Well, number one, for one, it's personal relationship. Remember that the bridegroom said to the five foolish ones, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. We want to ensure that we have a personal relationship with God the Father, Jesus our King and Master, and also relationship and reliance on God the Holy Spirit. Now, another understanding is that we must ensure that we have sound doctrine. Listen to the words of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, the doctrine. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Notice the relationship between doctrine and saving. Now, if faith is the means by which I am saved, then I want to know what I'm believing in. It's not blind faith, right? I want to believe in what I'm being taught that is correct. That's why sound doctrine is so important and so critical. For this reason, Jesus and the apostles warned so many times against false teachers, apostles and prophets and against deception in the last days. It's my personal responsibility to read and to study the Word, to check it out, and to learn that these doctrines are correct and I learn them well, that I may live out my faith accurately and be ready for Jesus' return. Next, I want to be faithful in my kingdom assignments. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that I am saved for good works, and these works have been prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so friends, just start where you are. Begin with the good works. Remember the light, the little lamp that shines first and that it becomes like the torches, the big lamp. The good works that will give way to and develop the work of the ministry that will then point to the kingdom assignments that we have to fulfill. Notice it's the same word that's used here. That these works have been prepared beforehand for us. How wonderful that God has prepared works for us to do so that these works can then prepare us for the coming of Jesus. And of course, the idea of watchfulness, to be alert and to be wise to the signs of the times. Notice that all ten virgins slept and yet the five wise ones, when they woke up, they were prepared and they were ready. The five foolish ones woke up, but they were not prepared. And this shows us that life will go on as usual. There will be the ups, the downs, you know, and there are good days and there are bad days. 
But the key is that we must always be sober, be disciplined, be focused, be circumspect so that we can be ready. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 to 17, that we are to wake up, that we are to understand, to walk correctly, choose well as wise people and not be foolish. And so my friends, let's prepare personally because preparedness and readiness is personal. And finally, number five, partners in preparedness and readiness. Matthew 25 verse 1 says, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And we know that there are five who were wise and five who were foolish. Friends, we are personally responsible for our own preparedness. But we prepare best when we prepare with others who have the same desire to be prepared and ready. We need partners in preparedness and readiness. Simply put, who we hang out with matters. In Proverbs 13, 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. If we gather with those who are wise, we become wise and we receive the promise of the wise. If we gather with those who are foolish, then we follow the way of fools. We suffer the consequence of fools. Now the wise will have the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding of all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. The wise will have understanding. Today, we have lots of knowledge these days, but only the wise will have understanding as we are told in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4 and verse 10. The wise will be circumspect and they will discern and they will know how to move with God's kairos times and moments. The wise will also understand the will of the Lord as we see in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 to 17. In the kingdom parables, when it speaks of kingdom wisdom in Matthew 13, Jesus tells us that the wise are the ones who will have ears to hear and have eyes to see. And of course, the wise will hear Jesus' words and they will obey. They will not be just hearers, but they will also be doers of the word. This is the wise man who built his house on the rock in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Who you hang out with matters. Don't just follow a churchy crowd with the wrong presumptions. You want to be amongst kingdom people who are serious about Jesus. Look out for a community who has a return mindset, a mind clearly set on the return of Jesus. Hang out with and partner those who are awakened, aligned, and assigned. Find good partners in preparedness and readiness. High five or low five. I hope you see that the parable of the five plus five virgins is not a standalone parable. It is the fifth mention of a most important point Jesus was making, a final illustration, an emphatic conclusion. No one knows the exact moment of Jesus' return. Be watchful, be alert, prepared, ready, be faithful. 
In this parable, Jesus is the bridegroom who will return to fetch his bride. All the other items and characters are there to support Jesus' main point. Careful not to over-allegorize, because when you do this, that can cause us all to miss what Jesus wants to focus on. I believe these five takeaways are pertinent. Be careful of presumptions of preparedness and readiness. Preparedness and readiness is a personal matter and responsibility. Find kingdom partners who are serious about being prepared and ready. Take heed to Jesus' warning about the predicament of unpreparedness and unreadiness. Prepare towards the promise of preparedness and readiness. High five. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for making it so clear, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, where we have complicated things and missed what you're really trying to remind us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your patience to keep reminding us and cajoling us and encouraging us so that we can be ready and prepared for your return. And so help us, Lord, as we do what we need to do by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.archipusawakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hanson signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.